And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, December 15th, 2020. I have my friend Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you today, Pam? I'm lovely, Rich. I'm looking outside and the sun's nowhere to be seen, but at least it's not snowing. So I think that's pretty good news. So uh, this is a pretty exciting time. Well, exciting might be the wrong word. It's, um, <laughs> it, it's a, There's a lot going on as it relates to COVID and, uh, and a potential vaccine. And it's not potential anymore. It's here. But uh, could we just start with a little update on your COVID patient census? Yeah, I, I think I have good news. We currently, so last week I had said we were doing better than the week before. Last week we had 60 positive inpatients with six on vents and five awaiting results. And today we have 48 positive inpatients with eight on vents and only one awaiting result. So a little bit sicker, but a lot less patients in the hospital. Um, in terms of deaths, we went from 124 to 128. And um, in terms of DuPage County, DuPage County went from 51,051 to 55,013 with and deaths from 850 to 904. And the state went from 798,000 positive cases to 858,000 positive cases and deaths went from 14,234 to 15,458. Um, so I guess our hospital's doing better. I'm not so sure the state and DuPage County is doing that great. State is moving faster than DuPage County. Um, in terms of the good news, we went from discharge what, charges of um, 1,015 to 1,100 patients have been discharged. So that's quite a jump. Um, in one week, and the recovery rate for the state remains at 97%, so I think that's excellent news. There's been no change, and 97% of the people that get COVID recover. So, you know, one of the things I look at is the number of deaths you have each week and the number of discharges. So those, you know, I know there's still some deaths happening, unfortunately, but the discharge number, I mean, just in one week, you discharged 85 patients. That's uh, pretty impressive compared to early in the pandemic when that percentage, uh, a higher percentage, were not making it, frankly. So uh, it's obvious that uh, medical uh, knowledge has increased a lot on this front, hasn't it? It has, and, and people aren't staying as long in the hospital as well. So that's those are the two things that are really, really good news. We know what we're doing. We have some treatments. Yes, still some people are dying, and that is very sad. But in general, we are able to treat and get them home. I know you're tired of me asking about saliva tests, but I did note that our own Elmhurst School District 205 is at least considering a contract to provide saliva tests um, at the beginning of the second semester for their students and their staff. Uh, are you any closer to having that, or is that even a desired outcome because maybe they're not quite as accurate or as sensitive, I should say? 
Yeah, they're not as sensitive, and because we just do have enough tests the other way that are much more sensitive, we're going to keep doing it that way. So, no, we're not looking to acquire saliva testing at this point. And uh, your capacity is still pretty strong? Right. We're currently still receiving testing reagents for the four different PCR testing platforms. We continue to use our Arab and Quest, and um, we're still doing between 800 and 1,000 COVID tests per day. Um, and we still keep getting enough reagents, so we're not having any, any issues or concerns with being able to do testing. I do want to say when I look at the number of people that are positive and are staying out of the hospital, there still continues to be a fair number of people every day that come back positive. So um, just because they're not being hospitalized doesn't mean there's not still a lot of people that are positive. Sure. And last week I asked you about that predicted spike um, due to Thanksgiving and people maybe not social distancing the way they should. Uh, any changes in, in what you're seeing as a result of Thanksgiving celebrations maybe? No, we didn't really see any additional spike. It's kind of remained steady here. So at least at Elmhurst we haven't. Edward is, is a little bit higher than we are. And so I don't know if they had a spike, but I can tell you their numbers are running higher than our numbers are running. Well, those crazy people out in Naperville. <laughs> we, we all know about them. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I have a lot of good friends from Naperville. Um, want to ask you a little bit about something I haven't asked uh, about in a long time, and that is that uh, expectant mothers that are coming into the hospital to deliver get tested at some point before they deliver, um, just like other patients do. And and I know early on you said that occasionally somebody does test positive that is coming in to deliver a baby. So is um, is there any evidence that those newborn babies have COVID when they're born, that whose mother is positive at that time? So we, we've had patients who have delivered who are positive, and right now our babies that have been born from patients that are positive are not positive. So it's not transferring to the, to the baby. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting thing, that even though the mother's positive, the babies are not born being positive. And does it appear that they can easily catch it from their mother's? once they are born? Well, we do try to look at that. Um, they do have some natural immunities, I think, but um, right now we've only experienced one baby who acquired COVID from either the mother or the dad, and that baby was one month old. So there's very, very few cases of the baby, um, but that's being studied. You know, we don't have enough data, but what we're seeing is just one time did the baby get positive from either the mother or the dad. And those positive uh, women who are in to deliver babies, are they um, kept in a separate area than um, mothers who don't test positive? Well, they're, ke they're kept in a designated room, so they're in a private room, and they stay in that room for the laboring, for the delivery, and then for all um, their recovery is is in that room as well. And everybody that goes in there is wearing protective equipment, even if they were not positive. But when they are positive, they even wear more protective equipment. Um, and, and then there's a very specialized cleaning whenever they're done with the room that so that um, nobody could possibly catch it from being in that room. Does it appear that there are any long-term or maybe even short-term effects on the reproductive system of 
either women or men, um, as a result of suffering from COVID? So I wish we all knew answers to these questions, but um, right now there's ongoing studies regarding the long-term effect of having COVID, but there's nothing specific regarding reproductive systems. You know, there's stuff, there's a lot of studies going on around neurological sy sy symptoms. There's a lot of things around the lung, the heart, but nothing right now about reproductive systems. Uh, so the vaccine we know is right around the corner. I'll ask you more about that in a minute, but to, at this point, will Edward Elmhurst Health require their healthcare workers to be vaccinated? So we've decided not to mandate this because it's such a new vaccine and there's still, um, you know, not, there's good data that shows that it is safe to get the vaccine, but it's new data and we didn't want to require it of our employees because we know our employees would have concerns about safety and, um, and until there's more longevity, we felt like we would give them options this time around. And that's the difference between that and, let's say, a flu shot or another vaccine that you might require, right? Just the fact that it's so new? Correct. That's the difference. And I'm sure in the future, if, if, uh, if COVID-19 remains a viable illness in, and we have annual vaccinations, which we don't even know if that's how it's going to be. But if it is that way, I'm sure at some point it will end up being required. So, okay, here's the elephant in the room. Do you have the vaccine yet? And will you later this week if you don't have it now? We do not have it yet. We thought we would have it by now. We were told we would have it. But, um, you know, it's very, very complicated, and the state is doing everything they can to make sure the vaccines are kept preserved the way they need to be preserved and handed out in a very safe way. So we're still waiting news from DuPage County Health Department and IDPH about when we're going to receive our vaccine. We had originally been told it would be on Monday and then on Tuesday and then on Wednesday, and now we know it'll be somewhere between Wednesday and Friday. But we will be getting it. We know that, and we want them to do it in the safest way possible. So as when they have it, we will be ready. Have they told you how many doses you will get initially? So approximately we're going to be getting um, – 1,950 doses for each of our hospitals, um, and so we're anxiously awaiting that. Now, uh, we have 8,000 employees, so that is about, what, a quarter of what we know about, um, half of what we'll need for all of our employees, and that and 8,000 employees does not count all of the physicians that come here, which would be, to us, equally as important to get vaccinated, as well as our EMS system that comes and is our front line and fr front door of our hospital. So, um, but we know that we will at least be starting with a good amount, and we know that we will have to give that in a very safe manner and as quickly as um, necessary, depending on how we receive the vaccines. So of that 8,000-plus um, group of people that are employed in the health system, do you have an idea of approximately how how many or what percentage are uh, actual health care workers that might have patient contact? Well, I would say patient contact is probably more like a little more than half of that. But when you talk about um being at risk, we have laundry workers who are doing all the linens for all of our patients. So they're still at risk, even if they're not having patient contact. Um, you know, we have housekeepers who are cleaning the rooms of all of our patients. So 
you know, it's not just the people that are clinically taking care of the patients, but those that are swabbing, drawing blood. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways they are exposed. So, th so it's probably when you look at it that way, it's it's more it's more like three quarters of the people have that kind of risk. Well, your answer to that question explains why you're running a hospital and I'm not. There's a lot more <laughs> to it than those on the outside actually understand, obviously. So do you have any idea that that first 4,000 vaccine doses, how long that will take to get administered once they're on site? Is this something that's going to take days and days? Well, what we had planned, if we had gotten it when we thought we were going to get it, um, and what we will do when we, we know the date is coming is, so between the two hospitals, that would be a little less than 2,000 at each hospital. And we had had a electronic sign-up uh, scheduling for people to sign up for the doses, and it was going to happen over a three- to four-day period. So we can administer all of these doses within a four-day period. We had had every single slot filled by people who wanted to sign up for um, the vaccine. Because of the delay in getting the vaccine, we've had to cancel those slots, and we will be rescheduling those slots as soon as we have the exact date that they're going to be coming. So it sounds like most of your employees want the vaccine, correct? I think, I'm really surprised, but the majority of our employees, I think, want the vaccine. They have lots of questions about um, the safety aspect of it. So if they have conditions like uh, um, immunocompromised or they're on a, a, a tramps plant list or they want to get pregnant or they are pregnant or they've had COVID, lots and lots of questions. And so we've been having town halls to answer all those questions for them. A lot of the questions we can't answer because we're waiting for information to come out to answer those questions. But, um, you know, I think people are kind of excited. They're, they have been waiting and they need they need to have something to look forward to and they see the vaccine as an opportunity for life to get back to normal. So I think people want to make sure that that happens and so they want to play their part in that. As long as you mentioned the fact that they had those questions, I was going to ask you later, but are there any things off the top of your head that you can think of that would preclude somebody from getting the vaccine? Well, if they are currently sick with COVID, we wouldn't want them to get the vaccine. I know, um, you know, that people who are pregnant may choose not to. There's no proof that there's any concern, but there's not a lot of testing done on pregnant women, so they may choose not to, to get the vaccine. Um, you know, basically, it's not a live vaccine being given, so it's not like you're introducing the actual disease into the body. So there's, there's less risk, and that's why you can't spread that after the vaccine, this disease, because it's not a live vaccine. Okay. Any more information on Pfizer's, uh, the Pfizer vaccine side effects? Yep, there is information on the Pfizer vaccine side effects. Um, so according to the research and the data, it shows that there is about a 15 to 25% chance that you will have some kind of reaction to the vaccine. It's, it's a, a minor reaction or it could up to being an uncomfortable reaction. You usually have the worst of the reaction after the second vaccine and not the first one. Uh, more, more people have the reaction after the second. Reactions are pain at the site of injection, headache, 
chills, body aches, and fever. So if you get a fever from the vaccine, we're, we're saying it's a fever associated with the vaccine and not a fever that's contagious or something that you would have to stay home sick with. You can stay home if you feel like it, but, um, but it's not something that we're worried that you're going to transmit something to somebody else. It's just uncomfortable. And it usually lasts a couple of days, just so in case people are wondering. It's not long-term. It's just a day or two. Okay. It doesn't sound too severe in most cases either. It sounds pretty pretty minor, similar to a flu shot, I would guess, right? Yeah, I guess people felt a little bit more tired, a little more effect than a flu. But some people react very strongly to flu shots too. So it's just individual reactions. So this first vaccine that's been approved, the Pfizer vaccine, has the lowest required storage temperature of the other vaccines that at least I've read about. So does the hospital have special coolers or freezers or how how do you keep it on site? And, you know, is it about dry ice or that's really cold, that minus 95 or whatever it is Fahrenheit? Yeah, we did purchase, uh, secured two ultra cold freezers. So one for each organization so we can store the uh, vaccines at the right temperature. And we also had acquired dry ice if we needed that, um, if we needed more storage. So we should be fine with storage of the vaccine. We've, we've been working on this for a while, so we were prepared. From what you've said, the initial shipments will not be stored very long because they'll be they'll be given out right away pretty much in the first few days. But do you have any information on how, how long they can be stored and still be safe and effective? Yeah, and the reason why we were giving it out so quickly is because we were told that we would be receiving it and it would have been broken the chain of keeping it cold, so it would have already started to saw. And so we would have only had five days or less to give out all of the vaccine. And so that's why we were in a hurry to get it all done in, in a few days. Now we, we're hearing that it might be kept cold, and if it's kept cold, it will give us a little more time and flexibility in how we administer the vaccine. So if it's kept frozen and is not thawed at all, it can be go up for six months. You can keep it frozen for up to six months. But once it starts thawing, you can't refreeze it, and you have five days or less to administer all the vaccine. So do you have to kind of plan on a daily basis how much of the vaccine you'll be administering so that I assume there's some sort of a thaw time or a warming time? And do you, do you know much about that yet and whether it needs to be used immediately when it reaches that proper temperature? It, it does need to be used fairly quickly when it reaches a proper temperature. I know how long it takes to thaw. So if some, something has um, has already started the thawing process and you needed to get it to the right warmth to be able to give it, it's about a 30-minute time frame at, at room temperature to, to get it warm enough to give. Okay. But if it's been frozen um, or kept in a refrigerator, it takes up to two hours to thaw it so you can give it. So you have to... Think about that as well when you're planning on how you're giving your vaccines. So you mentioned that folks who are COVID positive at the time probably shouldn't get the vaccine, but um, are your employees who have previously tested positive for COVID and have recovered eligible to get that vaccine when their time comes? Yes, they are eligible and because we still don't understand enough about how your immunity works. We want everybody to, to get the vaccine. The CDC has recommended that those who have tested positive wait 90 days from their positive date 
to receive their COVID vaccine. So you want to make sure that it's 90 days after you have recovered from the, the COVID. So it looks like you have a lot of, or sounds like you have a lot of good information about this Pfizer vaccine. Is that same sort of information out there and available on the other vaccines that haven't been approved yet that will hopefully be shortly? They, they have different requirements around storage, different requirements on how they're given. We have to train whoever's giving the vaccine to make sure they know exactly how to give the vaccine. We have to document that training and get it into the state. But um, in terms of when the next set of vaccines come out, and if it's, if, if it's not Pfizer, but maybe it's the, the other vaccine, we will have to be reading the literature. And so we have people that are studying and waiting for the literature to come out at any moment and they read it and then they translate it. And then we put our action plan together in terms of how we're going to, how we're going to administer it, how we're going to train people to make sure we're doing everything correctly. It's a, this has been such a fluid process. We think we know something one day it's, we follow what we've been told, and then the next day it changes. And that's just because it's so new, and, you know, and each, each vaccine was developed differently, and so we have to just wait for the literature to come out as that vaccine comes out. So right now, when you look at Pfizer, Pfizer says that you can give immunocompromised patients the vaccine. Who knows if the next vaccine will say that? So each one is different. Uh, do you have any information about when you might get your next shipment of the Pfizer? I mean, you don't even have the first one yet, and I'm asking you about the next one. It Does it look <laughs> like there'll be some coming in the next few weeks, or is it going to be quite a while before either there's a second shipment of the Pfizer vaccine or a first shipment of a different one? So our understanding that we should, in the ne within the next two weeks, be getting another shipment. And so we're very hopeful, and that's what we are telling our employees that may not get in the first round, um, that we would wait till the second round. We also have we have been wanting to stagger giving our employees the vaccine because we don't want everybody to get the vaccine and be sick the next couple of days and not have enough staff to take care of the patients. So we'd like some people to get this first round that work on a particular unit and then the rest of the people that work on the unit get it in the second round so that we have people that are available to take care of patients. But yeah, we're 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 understanding that in two, within two weeks we will have more, enough to be able to vaccinate more of our employees and physicians. Overall, how is your employee morale, and has it changed since this vaccine is imminent? Well, I think our morale has always been pretty good. I mean, people are tired, and people would like life to get back to normal. But I think they, their morale has been good. They they're just a great group of people that work here. But I do think that there's a little bit of excitement in the air and people feel hopeful that we might actually have, have the answer to being able to get our lives back under control and be able to return to some semblance of normalcy, at least by maybe summer or, well, some, we're hoping by early summer, but maybe by late summer, it would be really great. And so people are excited about that. It's finally, you see a little light at that end of that long tunnel we've been in. Yeah, that's got to be quite a relief because it, it's a long time coming. And I don't know, you know, we, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, that early on we never thought, I certainly didn't, that this would still be going on. And I just can't imagine how that's worn on on your staff. And uh, kudos to them for uh, coming in every day, doing their job and doing it with a smile. So 
thank you to you and your employees. And I wish, uh, we, I know we won't be speaking for a couple weeks, but I wish you and uh, your entire staff uh, happy holidays and uh, all the best. Thank you so much, and happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays to everybody out there in the community. I know this is still going to be a very odd holiday, different than we've had in the past, but hopefully by this time next year it will all be a distant memory and we will be on to bigger and better things and we will be, appreciate our families so much more and our, and our friends so much more. Thank you, and have a great time. And I can't wait to talk to you in a couple of weeks because I know a lot is going to happen between now and then. So thank you so much, Pam. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.